Hey everyone, and welcome, or if you're listening to these chronologically, welcome back to Demand Gen Chat. I'm your host, Kaylee Edmondson, and we are joined today with Scott Stratton. I'm super excited to have you. Thank you for joining us. I'm not as excited as I am to be here. Let's do this. <laughs> Let's do it. So for those listening who might not already know and follow Scott, let me try my very best to give you a proper intro. Scott is the creator and co-mastermind behind the brand Unmarketing. He has co-authored six best-selling books with partner and better half, Allison. Um, and is the host that you know and love behind Unpodcast, the marketing podcast for the Fed Up. What have I missed? No, oh, that's that. You summed it up pretty much right there. Uh, and then uh, five kids combined, uh, two dogs and three cats. Who's counting? Who's counting? <laughs> I love it so much. So, Scott, I have so many questions that I want to pick your brain on. So, Marketing now and in the future, I think that with everything that's happened around the world in the last year, marketing is under more pressure now than ever. I feel like all of these changes were kind of coming to a head before the pandemic started happening, but yeah. I think the pandemic has just kind of escalated yeah. um, this motion that's happening within marketing. And mm -hmm. I just want to get your honest take. I don't know any time where you've ever shared something that's not your honest take, but... Stage is yours. What's trending? What things are marketers doing right now that is a total waste of time? I guess I assume some marketers are going to listen to this. So I, I, I was going to say I'm going to be careful with what I say, but I, I, why start now? Honestly, <laughs> why start now at this point? Um, one of the, my biggest problems in marketing, and it's not like now, it's always, is that a lot of times in marketing, we have a, we have a badge of honor uh, by being first to something or new and we're going to show it. And, and a couple of reasons for that. One of the biggest mistakes is that it's individual versus brand. So individually, you love a platform, a tool, whatever it's going to be. But for the brand, is it the right thing? And a lot of the times I find us trying to take that square peg in that round hole for a brand and say, we should be on Clubhouse. We should be doing this. We should be doing this because it's new. Because something is new is never a reason to use something ever. Okay. It's new. Great. But also with something new, there can be issues as well. And you have to take the time to learn these things, to find them. And I really, really encourage any marketer out there, I don't even care what vertical you do, is that you go and try it yourself, incognito, whatever it's going to be, get in there and understand the mechanics of something. I see so many brands rushing to something like Clubhouse and saying, this is what we're going to do. This is the new, it's the, it's the land rush right? The land rush and the gold rush, right? So we want to grab our spot, grab our property, do this. And then we want to be the ones. We want to be the big ones in front of it. Well, does, is that for the brand though? And I know there's two, two things that can happen at the same time. A marketer for a brand, um, like yourself in, in, in a brand. Also, you're also a personal brand. And it depends on the constraints that the brand gives you as their employee. But marketers are also a lot of personal brands. And that line blurs a lot to the point that we have to be careful because what's good for the brand is not always good for the marketer. What's good for the marketer is not always good for the brand. And so rushing to these places because they're new, because we can, we have to go back to Jurassic Park, you know, just because we can, we never thought, you know, should we? We only have a certain amount of time. I don't know any marketer right now in any brand that is like, I have 20 hours a week open. Like I literally have 20 hours a week open. What can I add to the plate? Because every time we add a new tool to our toolbox and then use it, okay, that'll take time, resources, and focus away from a current set of tools and platforms and focus. And focus 
is the lost art form of marketing to me is focusing and saying, look, if we're doing strategic planning and saying this quarter, we're doing this, and then Clubhouse comes along and you have an all hands on deck, we're going to be over here. Well, then what goes away? 40 hours a week or 50 hours, whatever you have each individual doing. And if they're all working full tilt on stuff, and then you add a whole new thing, either you're going to do it poorly because you're not going to have a lot of focus and time on it, or it's going to take away from something else, but you haven't changed the KPIs. You haven't changed all these things where it would have been 10 hours a week with this person working on this platform have been taken away from it. You can't, we can't be jumping ship every two months onto something. We've got to focus on it, right? It, it honors our audience. It honors the platform and it honors our team and our employees. It's really about your audience. So even if you think it's like the new shiny toy and here you are running to Clubhouse because everyone else is doing and it's mm -hmm. like a peer pressure game, that doesn't mean that your audience is there. So if you've built an audience on LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever, then you're like, hey, friends, come join me on Clubhouse. And that's just a really frustrating experience for your audience, the people who are consuming your content where you're at and want mm -hmm you know, want to listen. Also clubhouse is super frustrating. I've yet to join a successful, uh, clubhouse event. I feel like it's all just like the top, you know, the five people who can speak the loudest rise to the top mm -hmm. of the app and they just sit there and talk the entire time. And you've got a hundred awkward followers, like listening in below on these people's conversation. And yeah. So I think, yeah, I agree with you. Clubhouse it's is like the new shiny thing, but it's not very successful. And I mean, it might be successful for some brands, but that doesn't mean that you have to do it just because, you know, your neighbor told you to do it. It's high school talk radio to me, honestly. <laughs> it's like a talk radio show in high school and people are jockeying for position and people are complaining and texting people. Why didn't you make me with the microphone and bring me on the floor? And I just saw that and learned it. I started reading a couple of blog posts. I'm like, oh, no, thank you. No, thank you. And I, I look, I, I am confident in my abilities in speaking and I know I have a, a radio style voice. And I know I have the tone to be able to do these type of things. And people are like, it's so perfect. And I'm like, no, thank you. Because that clubhouse, one of my big issues with social media, and, and, and for those that know me, know social media is my world. It's how I got known. It's how I got started. I'm about our main pillars are community, authenticity, and integrity. And that's all about community is all, you know, for us is all virtual a lot, which is social and forums and, and, and that world. And, and people say, well, you know, you, you've got to be on here. And, and, and one of my biggest problems with social when in the past couple of years has been expiring content, you know, making stories for Instagram or TikTok or, or Snapchat where you're, we're, we're driving content marketers into the ground with work, with content that's gone in a day. With Clubhouse, it's not even gone in a day. It's gone when you're done speaking. It's radio. It's literally radio without the training. And without that, without the structure and without, and there's a reason why there's structure in radio. There's a reason why they do these things and, and, and talk about expiring content. It has no shelf life at all. At least 24 hours was 24 hours back, you know, back in the day. And by in the day, I mean a year ago, you know, so I don't, I just don't it, look if you like it and it look, if the marketer right now is listening and they're like, well, I like clubhouse. Good. My opinion of Clubhouse should not affect your opinion of Clubhouse and use it individually. But for the brand, is it the right place? And the answer can be yes, but just don't make a default yes because it's new. Exactly. And that goes into this motion too, just around like playbooks, right? I've never not joined a new company where the company is like, cool, what's your demand gen playbook or what's your B2B playbook? And that's in my opinion, that is not the thing. There is no playbook. There isn't one. Every brand is unique. Every voice is different. All of their audiences that you're building are going to be different and unique to you. 
And there isn't an end all be all playbook. And I think that that falls like nicely into what you're saying about Clubhouse too, right? It's just like a box that somebody is wanting you to check to say, oh, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. Now we're on Clubhouse, check the box. But that's not really how it works. No, and people want to be early adopters though. And I I understand that. And and I I get that, you know, for me, I was on LinkedIn in 03. Um, You know, I was at, uh, and then I was on rise.com in 04 and Twitter in 08. And I get it. But that's a young person's game. You know, I'm just old now. And I'm just like, I'm not going to keep up with the Joneses doing this type of stuff. And uh, it's, but if it works for you, because we look at different things, you look at things like Instagram, where it's a visual medium, you look at Clubhouse, which is an audio medium, you know, all these, and, and there's, you know, uh, a posts and writing as, as a written medium. And it's looking at saying, what, what, where's your talent? Where can you best thrive? It, we talk about that there's comfort zones and breaking out of those, but it doesn't mean you have to always be, you, and as a marketer, you don't have to be, an incredible writer, an incredible host of a, of a show and a talker and this and, and this, we don't have to try to be the jack of all trades in these type of things. And you mentioned playbook. And I really want to, um, um, look at a point for one second, which is that the, like the only playbook that matters is your bosses, right? The only one that was your clients, which is like, what do they want? Because I can go off all I want talking about these things. I don't have a boss. I'm not reporting to somebody. Allison and I make the decisions for this company, and that's that's it. We don't get clients. We don't. But I don't have to answer those type of things. If your boss or your client wants the brand to be on Clubhouse, okay. You can make your argument. You can state your case. And they're like, we want to do it. Then, okay. Then you learn to do it better. But it's always whoever's signing the check is that matters. I, I always rant about vanity metrics and how they uh, – You've heard me rant about it probably way too many times. And the point is, though, if you're who you're reporting to, whether it's client or boss, does like vanity metrics, then you give them to them. But understand the proper metrics are what are really driving your brain. Yeah, your playbook is probably most often defined by whoever's paying you, which Mm -hmm. is fair. Um, But at the end of the day, too, I think it's part of marketing's job to, you know, like, um, for instance, right now, I report directly to our CEO. And Mm -hmm. I think that it's half, at least half of my job, if not more, to market internally to Mm -hmm. him and to our sales team and the rest of our marketing team, what it is we're doing and why. Um, I think oftentimes a lot of marketers just put on their marketing hat and think, I am marketing externally. I'm here to get prospects, new business, close one revenue, all of those things. And yes, those are all important. But at the end of the day, too, I spend at least 50% of my day educating and marketing internally. And I think that's part of it, right? If they come to you and say, hey, your playbook is this, and these are your whack KPIs that you need to be judged off of because I said so, then that's also on you to own your own destiny and say, no, look, I hear you, but there's a better way. And here's the way. You you hit on that, Kaylee, like that's something that is just, it's something that resonates with me to my core, which is marketers think it's all external. And it's mm-hmm. not. And it used to be, you know, it's like I used to say psychology was HR is internal, marketing is external. It's all human psychology. But your first set of customers for anything, for a new product, for a launch, for whatever it's going to be, is the company. That's your first group of people. If they are not bought in to it, everything in marketing becomes harder. Everything becomes harder. And if you internally market first and understand it and getting, but I don't mean on the surface. I don't mean as a token. I mean, internally bringing stakeholders in early on in the process and explaining what you're doing and showing what you're doing, getting feedback from that. Then when you turn around, when it's finished, you show and roll it out and, 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 and show people and bring them into it. They feel like they do have ownership of that because 
we're literally, when you're marketing something, you're marketing them. You're marketing as part of that as well. And that's a huge internal marketing is such an overlooked thing and it should be the first step of everything. Yeah. I mean, it really should be, especially so like our scenario is that marketing came into a company that was already existing and working and operating and successfully growing without marketing. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think we had to combat that almost twice as hard because they were like, oh, you're the new kids on the block. What are you really going to do for us? Like, eh, I don't know. Is this going to cause more friction? Like, let's talk about it. It was a lot of that. Right. And so it's, yeah, it is. It's like this game, this real game of team building and understanding that like, we're just here to help you do your job better and mm-hmm. here are all the things and here's how we can do it. Mm-hmm. And build the company Absolutely. and that's and grow the company larger. And that's, you're always going to have friction. Whenever there's change, there's friction. That is, is one of the rules of the universe. I've, I've never, mm-hmm. we will spend so much more time and effort resisting change than we will to embrace it. We always, I always said on stage that disruption is simply uh, change without time to resist it. That's what it is. And, and, and so when you come into something, you will get that friction because you could have budgets feel threatened. You could have, you know, headcount feel threatened. You could have uh, um, autonomy feel threatened. And, and, and having that in there and understanding that and then making sure that, that those, as we market, as sales and marketing 101 of overcoming objections externally to our customer base, we should have that list internally as well. What are our internal objections to this coming mm-hmm. through and how do we tackle those things? It's such a forgotten, not even forgotten, it was barely done before that we need to look at those objections internally mm-hmm. as well first. And then it goes so much smoother, both in a B2B yeah. and a B2C uh, world. And speaking of sales and marketing 101, I want to dive into unmarketing. So for anybody that is not familiar with unmarketing or the concept behind it, the philosophy that you and Allison have been preaching for years, like what is your high level snippet on unmarketing? What's your take? For people who have not heard of unmarketing, how dare they? Yeah, I know. What are they doing? They need to be listening, follow all the things, but. Really sums it up is there's just, we just have one line that sums up everything with unmarketing is if you believe businesses built on relationships, make building them your business. Exactly. And you guys have been preaching that though, for how long? 20 years. And how many people still aren't doing that? (laughs) Most of them. (laughs) (laughs) And why? And why is that? Why are people not on this train? Honestly, Kaylee, it's that because relationships take time. That's as and honest people don't as I have time. Well, but it, I, 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 I don't buy that. I don't buy that. It's not they don't have time. I buy that they, they don't want to spend the time. And it's not necessarily mm-hmm. the individual. So let's give an example. Is somebody comes into here. I'll give you a perfect example. Last this is before the pandemic. So a year ago, I'm at home where I am right now. I'm in my uh, my robe, my house coat, my Caesar's Palace house coat that my wonderful wife somehow bought in Vegas at Caesar's Palace and then snuck home and I didn't even realize it. How you bring an entire robe home, I don't know. But um, I'm in my my robe. I'm not looking as pretty as I do right now as you're looking at. And uh, the hair is down. The beard is flowing. I look like a roadie, you know, for Metallica. And there's a our doorbell rings. So the dogs go bananas, which is always wonderful when I'm, you know, in, in the morning. And I open the door. There's a gentleman in a suit and he looks up and he's from a, a financial investing, a, a fairly famous one. And he's like, hello. And looks up and goes, oh, and I'm just, this thing is just standing in the doorway. I'm like, yes. He's like, I'm from this company here. I'm just wondering, you know, if you're looking for financial advice and I'm like, how do you, th- what's supposed to happen next? 
Am I supposed to invite you into my home, put some pants on, and then we're going to talk about my bank account? Like, how do you think this is going to happen? And they're like, well, no, we, and they're just door knocking, which is fine in the 80s. You know, that's how a lot of things were sold in the 60s and 70s and they traveling salespeople, right? They're selling vacuums and Tupperware and knife sets and all these things. You know, but there's a lot of different ways now to do that. And if you want to build relationships and build yourself a position in front of a, a, a target market, it's going to take time. You can do sessions and lunch and learns and get articles out there and network and go to Chamber of Commerce. But companies don't bring in their new recruits like that. They're like, go pound the pavement. Here's a phone number list. Go call them. So the companies are impatient. It's not even necessarily the individuals. I don't usually have a problem with an individual cold calling me. Well, sorry, I do. But my, my anger is directed towards people who are forcing them to do that. The majority of people don't want to do that, I don't think. The more people want to interrupt somebody's day and try to force them to buy something from them. We have so much more information these days. We have so much more access to that. One of the things that we use is called the sales cloud, which is like 60% of, of buying decisions in B2B, the decisions of 60% along the way of being made before they ever reach out to a vendor. So if you're just calling, smiling and dialing, randomly trying to cold call these people, I've already done 60% of my work. And you're going to be left out of that. And then that, how I find that cloud is about information and blog posts and conferences and videos. And if you're not doing any of those things, you're left out of that. So then you call me and you're, you're at your lowest point of leverage. You're at the lowest point of trust and no relationship. And you're just saying, hey, hey, buy from me. And it's buy or goodbye. And that's not human. That's not kind. And that's how I do business with people. I never, ever sat down here and saying, I wish an SEO specialist would phone me. I just wish they'd randomly call me so I could see if they're doing. I wish I could get another spam piece from an SEO company saying, we're going to rank you high on page one and I can't find them on page 100. You know, it's just, it's, it's just this way of, we don't want to take that nine, we, we, time. We just want to do snap and necks and cash and checks so we can get to the Catalina wine mixer. Like we're just trying to do these things and saying, this is how it's supposed to be done. I don't, buy that, Kaylee. I don't. That with the, the combine of incredible ways to do online advertising these ways and the way we can track and we can target and focus and all these tools. And you're telling me that you got to interrupt my day is the best way to get me to know, like, and trust you. Not a chance, not a chance. See, see that, see that tangent I just went on there. You just triggered me. So I apologize I for it. that, but it, it, it's so true. No, my favorite version of you is when you are triggered. <laughs> when <laughs> you are just It doesn't take you, much. Yeah, when the filter comes down and you are just spewing the truth, that's what I'm here for. Yeah, um yeah. so no, I appreciate the brand. <laughs> that's what that's what I think that we all need to like adapt to. That's what like going back to my original thing about marketing now and in the future, I think that we went through this weird wave in marketing as a whole. And yeah. you know, if anybody that is listening was not doing this, then you were ahead of the curve. But I think marketing as a whole went through this weird wave where it was like, oh, we have all of this, all of these insights and this intent data and like gates. We need to gate everything. All the content that we're producing is just the greatest thing we've ever seen. So it's totally worth the gate. We have to do it. And it's like, oh, we have to get your email for everything so that we can follow up with you on with these random nurture emails that might eventually put you into this random funnel and convince you to buy from us. But it's like, they get, you know, they're on email nurture number three after downloading some random guide. And it's like, what do I know about this company? Why? Mm -hmm. Who are you? What are you like? What do I actually know about you? The people, you know, the people that make up this brand, not, you know, just some random email nurture that's like, we can help you with this. Da, 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 get a demo today. 
And I think the brands today that are really pulling ahead and are standing out in this super noisy space are the brands that are not doing any of that. Mm-hmm. And we just need to get on board. Like, I think that stop gating your, stop gating your content. It's yeah. not gold. Like there's nothing great. Behind <laughs> it. Stop, exactly. stop, stop, stop spamming people. Like don't show up to my door while I'm in my robe. Absolutely not. Kudos to you for even answering the door. Cause I would have been like, yep, you can wait. Hold on. The great thing for me though, Kaylee, is that, that every business screw up and marketing is content. So I welcome this stuff. You know, I want I want the person to to knock on my door to try to pitch me to invest my all my money with a guy standing on my front porch. I love it. Like it's because it's material for us. We never run out of material for the show or for the books. And and the the difference. And you 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 touched on this. Um, uh, you were just saying is that there's a, there's a part where I I, I do feel a, a somewhat of a, t- a tide shifting of this kind of transparency or authenticity. That and those both those words have been bludgeoned to death in our industry the wrong way, but mm-hmm. at least for myself personally, and I can only speak for myself personally. But looking at uh, in the past year, I've re, we've redone everything for the company. We've changed uh, entire sites and site hosts, uh, email service providers, podcast host, er- everything. And I went through it because I wanted to go from pontificator back to practitioner, and so I did. Er- I changed everything again. And going through all the tools, the tools that I chose to use um, and go and use was that almost all of them, I got to know the founders of the companies, but I didn't know them personally. Here's the thing. It wasn't like Scott and on marketing and I, I know people marketing. I don't know any of the people we signed up for with stuff with. I just read their blog posts and looked at what they want, they want for the company and also what they stand for. And that has been a big separation, I think, over the past, at least to me, over the past five years, has been this much more push of, okay, where do you stand? What do you believe in? What are the important things to this company? Not just that this company does ABC. And that's a great opportunity for companies that have have those kind of morals and principles and not a great opportunity for companies that don't, I don't think. Again, that's a very biased statement of me because I only see what I want to see, but I do feel there's a little bit more of a trend of, of humanizing more a lot of brands, especially B2B ones, because they, they aren't. Especially for B2B brands, it's like if your founder is now you know currently still your CEO or still has a say in this brand, this is your opportunity to tell that story, right? And especially like for you and Allison, like this is y'all's brand. This mm. And that is how you bring your brand to life. That's mm-hmm. why your brand has so much life because your brand is just a an extension of you, both of y'all. And I think that somewhere along the road, specifically B2B, because that is what I can speak to. I have no experience in B2C, but in B2B, somehow we became this like very corporate tie on polished, like robotic talking thing. And it's like, no, like we're still marketing to people like I'm still sending this email to you at the end of the day and you're going to read it and it needs to move you in some type of way you need to feel like hey this is from a person like I you know sent out an email today and it was a mass email to a couple thousand people but it's just like you know hi there no no more of that like that's Mm -hmm. not working for people and so you know I just sent it out like just like I would have sent you an email for this podcast like hey what's up we're doing this thing Da, 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 da. here's why you should care. Let me know. Reply. Like reply to me, a real human, and let me know if you care about this. Yeah. It's funny. We just had so um the ESP we use for it, uh, convert kit. And so they just sold like two days ago. They got they got bought. 
and uh, uh, Nathan Barry, I believe his name is the founder. And I followed him on Twitter for years. And that's the thing. You, you never know who's following you. You never know who's watching. You never know who's listening, um, which is how we got our the, our own podcast sponsorship with with Emma was we didn't even know the VP of, was, was a show listener. You never know who's observing these things. And so I followed Nathan for years. I always loved his content. And so when the time came for us to shift stuff from one place to another, I'm like, oh, you're right in my wheelhouse. You're right there. And that's, that is actually the definition of unmarketing. Unmarketing is staying in front of your, your target audience. So when they have a need for your product or service, they choose you without, without hesitation. That was the original definition of unmarketing 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happened with something like ConvertKit. So I saw that. And then, so when it sold, I feel like I know Nathan. I don't know Nathan. Like we, I've, I've DM'd him on Twitter twice. Like, I don't know. I'm not trying to say, I know this, I'm not that type of guy in market. I'm like, I know this founder. I don't know this founder. I don't, I, I don't know him. And I, I just, we've talked a bit on Twitter. I was extremely happy for him when they sold. But every time before, you know, years ago, if you're using any kind of product, you know, what's the number one thing marketers will think to, in my experience, when a product gets sold to another company, they're like, they're going to break it. You know, <laughs> they're going to break it and then it's not going to work. It's like when mm -hmm. a big company absorbs a small one, eventually what made them great goes away. And not for this. Yep. It was like, I was, I'm like, yeah, man, get paid. I was excited for them. And I just, that, that's not a usual reaction for a B2B company as a user being excited for the founder because they sold this. It's like, okay, well, they got their exit or they eventually will have their exit and now it's going to break. So let's see what else is it. I'm excited for them. That was, that was a great thing. And that's how they, because their voice was like that and their, he was like that. Mm -hmm. And then the employees were like that, but it wasn't just, because I don't believe in just founder facing type of companies. I mean, that the company's like, look, our company is our team and here they are mm -hmm. and, and always, and always heightening them and always promoting them outwardly. And that is because what happens is that helps the people who work there get, create their own brand and then they become more wanted and maybe they actually end up going somewhere else and getting a different job. But at the end of the day, that's great. That's great because you're helping the individuals. And just like you and I were talking before we were recording, when you get to know people and they go elsewhere in a in a especially in a positive scenario, that's just a great relationship that continues on, even if they've left your company. And I love that. Back to the point around unmarketing and what you all believe in and stand for and are trying to, you know, convince others like this is the way <laughs> is about yeah. is the like, trying I know I'm here we're trying we'll try together but like uh, is this motion of authenticity and mm -hmm. it's not always about scale and growth and how many more calls can we make today and how many more emails can we send and how many more of these things right I think we're in this world of like quantity over quality and we need to reprioritize quality right I, I said um years ago uh, we were sitting, so my, you know, our, our revenue base before the pandemic was entirely based on large indoor events. And, uh, so, you know, me doing keynotes at conferences and I do 60 a year and or, give or take. And anyways, happy to do that forever. And we were sitting, um, out on a patio. I was in Frankfurt, Germany. How great, how cool is this that I got to get paid to go to Germany and speak. And we were sitting on a patio with schnitzel and a stein of beer because we had to do every stereotypical thing possible when we went there. And I was sitting across another speaker and I had hit a, a, a big milestone in speaking. I had a certain revenue threshold of the year. It's kind of a, a vanity rung that every reaches for. And uh, my friend looked at me, there was a speaker looked at me, who's a founder, you know, who's the one who does startups and everything else. And, and he's like, so what's next? And puts his arm up like this kind of this, you know, keep going up and up and up. And I just took his arm 
and I smacked it down so it'd be just horizontal. And I'm like, I don't have the endless pursuit of more in me. I've never had the endless pursuit of more, which is just just continue growing just because endless growth without any rhyme or reason to it, that that's all we're going to do. I, I don't recommend companies, you know, lose money. I don't, I'm not saying go down or anything, but I'm saying when all you're doing is, is just, just growth, 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 growth. It's exhausting. It's exhausting because what happens is your target for 2020 is at this level and, and the team busts their humps and they really, really try and they, they work their, their butts off to do it. And they finally hit that goal on December 30th, whatever. And they meet you and you're just like, yay. And we're going to do an offsite and yay, yay, yay. And the next year that peak, that one you just almost killed yourself to get to becomes the floor. And now the next year is like, now we got to go again. And we just end up burning people out that way and i just don't personally ever mm-hmm. have that where i look for it and say so it's not just about growth because when growth comes when with growth with a company especially in b2b growth also means growing the company headcount wise and individual wise and as you grow you change the company there's no way around it really you just a five person company is never going to be like a 500 person company it just doesn't work that way and so when you only have endless growth you're not you're not usually looking for the growing pains and that can be a real problem when it comes to, especially when you have a company that's built on authenticity and the team and the culture, you've got to have checks and balances in there. Otherwise, the endless growth turns into an unrecognizable co- uh, company after you've 10 times your your revenues eventually. You've had the opportunity over your career to work with so many different brands. Mm-hmm. Do you see any type of trend in that typical break point where it's like, okay, you've lost it. You've lost who you are. You've lost your voice. Some like, Is there a thing or is it always different? It's almost always different for, for me. And I, I'm always taking it from the outside. So, so I'm not always in, I'm not in those teams necessarily, but I have always <laughs> found that it's the breakneck growth. It's the speed of which, because you can't onboard somebody effectively in a day, you can't bring people and learn culture in a week. You can't, you know, you can't grow three times the size and sit there and go, we're, we're the same. Well, no, because it's, it's, what are we going to be now? And that's one of the mistakes is you try to, you try to almost bull, you know, in a China shop, the culture through to, to the 500 people, to the 5,000 people. And, and culture is a very basic thing that people kind of get confused sometimes is culture simply is how you feel when you work there. That's it. And culture is actually much mm-hmm. more uh, um, uh, intangible than we, we think it is. And it's, it's that. It's, it's turnover rates. It's, I know a good culture when I don't have to recruit. I know a good culture mm-hmm. when my employees are my recruiters. I know a good culture when my turnover rate is, is almost non-existent, um, potentially. But that's, that's also a false one sometimes because sometimes a great culture is knowing when somebody's hit their ceiling in your company and allowing them to grow elsewhere. And that's where that we have these false kind of things about culture and culture is, is simply how you feel at the company. And it is top-down driven, but that's also team top-down driven. So you can have a great culture of a team necessarily the company because mm-hmm. companies can be in seven different locations. Well, you're not going to have the same culture in those locations necessarily, but you can have it with teams. And the problem is for me, I always, is the more layers when the layers come mm-hmm. into effect more. So it's not, you're reporting right now to the CEO, but your job may be different if you're reporting to three more layers than to the CEO, or there's three layers below you. It's always causing, because in, whenever you're dealing with humans, <laughs> you know, that species, you're going to have 
things and issues and politics. And I think workplaces are like high mm-hmm. school, except you get paid sometimes. You know, we, we, <laughs> we, we have those things coming. So the more humans you involve in things, the more things that can come up and happen. And then, and then we have that problem. And then there's like one vacancy and somebody didn't get it and they thought they should. And then that's how it starts. And, and, and the transparency and the authenticity internally should be there too, because I found the most authentic companies that a customer thinks are authentic are also authentic internally to each other. And that's sometimes mm-hmm. harder than having a marketing thing where we're authentic outwardly. Exactly. And I think that goes into this motion of brand marketing, and I'd love to hit on it quickly because mm-hmm. my perception of brand marketing has changed drastically over the years. Um, So for instance, when I worked for Emma, and that's how you and I first met, Mm -hmm. um, I reported to someone who had an extensive background in brand marketing, whereas Mm -hmm. I had at that point in my career only ever been paid for performance marketing. Um, So my mind was in very much so of like, okay, this is paid advertising. It needs to happen on social. It needs to happen on Google ads. Here are all the channels. That's just where my mind was. And I thought, oh, brand marketing, like that's such fluff. Like I don't have time for that. But that was so wrong. So mark my words, I'm saying this now, it's being recorded. That was so wrong. And it was just like (laughs) such a missed opportunity. And now I've seen the light. I understand that brand marketing is so much more than fluff, which is honestly my uneducated thought at the time was just, it's just fluff, but it's really not because it plays into this uh, extension of your brand that we're kind of talking about here. And it comes to light in so many, so many avenues, like uh, on personal email threads or on my LinkedIn DMs or whatever. And it's like, you know, I'm just one piece of this puzzle here. When you have a team of a hundred, 500, a thousand people, that is your brand. And it's something that's really hard to control, right? Mm-hmm. right? These people are writing your narrative, your mm-hmm. customers, your prospects, the people who are engaging with your brand are writing this part of your story for you mm-hmm. based on the engagements and the in, you know interactions that they have with employees that work at your company. Yeah. And I think that that isn't prioritized enough in the grand scheme of marketing today. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think that your initial thought of brand marketing, though, it wasn't wrong. <laughs> somewhat. I honestly, when <laughs> Go I, on. I, no, I, 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 I don't think it's wrong. I think there's a lot of BS in brand marketing. <laughs> I've, I, I was part of the BS. Like I, I get it. There's a lot of, because that brings us almost into some holistic marketing stuff too. And the, and the, you know, the, the brand, the, the, the brand voice and the, and this, mm-hmm. and then you get into the visuals and the logos and all that type of stuff. And then you get the logo police oh, sure. and you get the, and, and the, and <laughs> all this type of crap. And you go through this and this and this, and then you have, um, you know, but like, and then it's like the sponsoring of our show, right? Mm-hmm. It was not really performance really. It was more of an overall brand thing and what does it works and what it doesn't. And look, you can hide a lot of stuff in brand marketing. You can hide a lot of waste in brand marketing. But you can also hide waste in performance marketing, which mm-hmm. you can't, but you can, right? Depending on what those indicators oh, yeah. are and where you're going. And I just think the problem is, is, is it's a fight for budget. It's a fight for credit. It's a fight for, you know, just saying, look, I, I, you come out of the space of performance marketing. That's a, that's a trench. Like you come out with scars out of that world, right? You, you just come crawling out and you're like, oh, and then somebody's like, I think we should update the logo. You know, and you're just like, I just came out of a trench and we just spent 40000 on, and this went, and you're just like, well, 
is what do we have the pantones for the and you know and we're just kind of and it's just kind of this sometimes this fluffy type of stuff when it's not but i find that everything is one th- under one roof and the bigger the company gets and the more marketers that are in there and the, the kind of the infighting that happens between it between the seo person here and this person here then you have a copywriter over here you have this and you have all of this and then like internal gatekeeping happens which is fascinating yes. to me right where because because nobody see the, the cu- customers clients don't see those things they don't see silos they don't see this they're like brand this boom boom and they don't see all the internal chaos that goes along with a lot of this type of stuff and and makes you want to have a one person company again or something but there's there's no not one department of marketing not one area of marketing is is the only bs part of it a lot of marketing is bs is it, is it because we we use fancy words a lot of the times we we try to say things that make us sound smarter and us in an industry of marketing one of the things we do is we make things overly difficult and circling back to the original question we were talking today was like that's the reason for like clubhouse well one thing's if something's new well the rest of the marketers don't know it or the rest of the company doesn't know it so i'm gonna look even smarter there's an ego thing involved there and ego drives marketing sometimes too and that's it can be fine it can be healthy Ego can be part of ego can be healthy because you you don't want it to to shatter that ego so you really want to do well but the other part comes in there and then it's ownership and saying no this is mine this is what I did this is what we did when in reality nobody cares they just want the overall to do well the overall picture do better and if you can get it together and work together on this stuff but that's about a team and the team is mm-hmm. only as good as the person leading the team and then the members of that team. And if there's politics, if there's favoritism, it doesn't matter what you do. It's just going to fall. It's just going to be moot because they don't trust mm-hmm. you. Trust is not just about clients. Trust is employees. And I don't, I'm not going to work as hard or I'm not going to spend the time and show the initiative. If I think that there's favoritism, if I think this or that is this all, all credit will go to the performance marketing side of it when we had nothing to do with it. And that's just infighting everywhere. And it's not part of the game I like to play. I think that's so it. It's all about like, yeah, at the end of the day, uh, your customers, your prospects, your boss even probably doesn't really care who pushed go, who launched the thing, who changed the colors, as long as it's done and it's working, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever those goals are you set beforehand, I don't care if Jessica, Tom, myself, you, whoever, right? Um, Just as long as it gets done. And I think we miss that a lot because we get so busy and caught up on this like hamster wheel of just go, 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 go. Let's get the things that it's like, look, let's just work together. We can get 10 times more things done. Like it doesn't matter who's owning it. Marketing feels feels more hamster wheel now than ever. It does. It's just running and running and running and running and running and running. You don't even get the pellet at this point, right? You just keep running on the wheel and, and and that's you set that tone I, I we alluded to it already on this it's just you can't it with expiring content and and you're gonna you just run people into the ground and it yeah. you're dealing with humans i don't care your brand or your company you've got to understand that humans need feedback and they need they need praise and they need security to know they're doing a good job and they and autonomy and but we just dehumanize it a lot and just say it's performance, performance. And that's my one of my big problems with performance marketing too. It's just, it just comes down to that fraction of a percentage. Did it work or did it not? Did you increase it? Did you do this? And you're just like, you're just a number. And it's not what we are. Yeah, it's all about the lift. Well, we need business. We need revenue. We need to increase things. Okay, but understand that 
always reaching for the highest increase every single time. It can burn people out. Burns people out. It's not realistic. And yeah, like at the end of the day, it, your company, it's not going to really move the needle that much for your company over some of these other things that you should put more prioritization on and focus mm -hmm. on. Exactly. Yeah. So with that, let's end on that. Let me ask you one more question. Who is another marketer in the space that you're currently following? Another book that you've read recently, something that's influenced you that the audience could go follow themselves or read? That's a good question. <laughs> good last question. Now I got to think yeah. about it for a second. Sorry, I want to put you on the spot. Oh, it's okay. I know you're consuming stuff all day. So That's I just want question. to know what's top um, of mind. I promoted something on LinkedIn a while ago, a book, and I, I promoted it as, as the highest promotion I could possibly do for something. Uh, you know, I put the un, un stamp on it and I said, and I haven't read it. That's how confident I have his book is a friend of mine, Marcus Sheridan. Um, and he put out a book called They Ask You Answer. Marcus is one of the best content marketers I know on this planet. And he's the, his nickname was a sales lion and he started a pool company and he got known and he got to grew his exponentially grew his pool company from content marketing. And he's a brilliant speaker and writer and I haven't read the book and I, I will, I, I, even on the post on LinkedIn, I said, if you don't like it, I will refund your money. That's how good I know it can be. And I, I would just, if you're in marketing and I would read Marcus's stuff, he's uh, he is killer. Great. I love it. A glowing re review without even having read it. So that, yeah, that must it. mean it's great, it. right? It also tells you how, how much focus I have to read books. But anyway. And then, oh, <laughs> yeah, uh, one, no one, just, one just came out here today. I actually have it uh, from a friend of mine too. It's called I Love It Here. Um, it's less marketing based, but it's how great leaders create organizations that their people never want to leave uh, by another friend of ours, uh, Clint Pulver. And Clint is, is one of our favorite humans. And I love his stuff. And uh, he is a threat to my keynote speaking business because he's so good. And, uh, I would also, I've, I've actually started reading this one, but it's, it's fantastic. So you want their marketing one is Marcus's. And then I love it. Here's a great one from Clint. Beautiful. I love it. Thank you so much for your time today. I love this as always. You're so full of wisdom and so insightful. So thank you. I appreciate it. Um, for anyone that's listening that also loves you and wants to follow you, where should they go? Uh, our world's unmarketing. So you can always just start at unmarketing.com and go from there. And you can, you'll see the front page we have there, which is we changed it. Now it's just like 15 statements of what makes up unmarketing. And if they resonate with you, then you're in the right place. And if not, then you can go somewhere else. Yeah, with a little bit of a humorous gif at the bottom too. Of me falling off a freaking <laughs> stage. Oh, yeah. It's, it's classic though. It just shows that you're a real human. If I didn't have the man bun... Uh, I would have, I would have broken something, but my, my head hit the man bun. So I was cushioned by the way, cushioned, um, just, just as a behind the scenes thing. And since nobody sees that in the gif, um, we were about to go on a Disney cruise, like a few days later, never text your wife in all caps. I fell off the effing stage and then go radio silent for three hours. Cause you're signing books and she thinks you've been hospitalized. That's, that's a, it's just a friendly tip. I, I, it's just no reason I brought it up. Just don't do that because then your, your wife may be panicking and calling the crews and saying, do they have a wheelchair? Because they think their husband's in traction right now. And I wasn't, I just was signing books. So <laughs> knowing, knowing Allison, she's already like trying to book a flight to come find you <laughs> oh, yeah, and figure out where you're at so she can come save you. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I love it. I love it so much. So thank you. Thank you as always. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Neil. This is this wonderful. Mm -hmm.